0: Welcome back to another episode of the So to Speak podcast. I'm your host, Christy Mandor. Today, we are jumping into conversation with my friend, Linda Luby. Linda is the Regional Director of Transportation for the New York State Department of Transportation here in upstate New York in the Mohawk Valley region. The reason that I had Linda come on the show is because Linda is someone who not only works in a male-dominated industry... But she is someone who genuinely loves everything that has to do with leadership. She's like a sponge. She's like a human sponge when it comes to all things leadership, which can feel really overwhelming when you're at the top of anything. Like so many people want to rise up and they want uh, to have more impact and influence. And a lot of times, once you're in that, kind of be careful what you wish for, it can feel so overwhelming. You put on top of that that you are one of the only in your industry, whether it's gender or race or what have you, and it can be an extra dose of stress. And Linda navigates this so gracefully and so genuinely, and I just feel like she is such a voice of inspiration, especially as we are getting into the thick of winter when things can get tough, like it, mentally, things can get tough, physically, things can get tough. And so I look at this as like a ray of sunshine, a dose of vitamin D for you on this winter's day. And Linda and I jump right into all things about leadership. And it's such a wonderful conversation because there's so much perspective on everything from opportunities that arise from being a female leader in a male dominated industry to the misconceptions of some of the current generations in the modern workforce, the importance of establishing and maintaining trust with your team, especially during times of change, how creating cultural equity for all and why that matters more now than ever is crucial in not just retention, but an actual engaged and productive workforce. And then Linda weaves it all together by sharing a really intimate moment in her life when she was navigating parenting in a really, really difficult time, specifically with one of her sons and how she, with time and with space, was able to see how that moment that was so heartbreaking and was so challenging created a more resilient, connected, and empathetic leader within herself. Linda so naturally weaves stories from her life experience into Each of the points that we focus on, and I'm just so excited for you to listen to this and to feel a sense of inspiration, a sense of connection, and even a possible dose of courage to maybe go for a leadership position in your industry if you have been wanting to and have been a little nervous about it, or to just gain more perspective within your leadership style if you're currently within a leadership position within your organization, or if you are an entrepreneur, you're always within leadership. So at the end of the day, it's a perfect listen to kick off your week ahead or your day ahead. So grab your favorite beverage, and without further ado, enjoy my conversation with Linda Luby. Welcome to the So To Speak podcast. I'm Christy Mandor, and I am so happy that you found your way here. Because here's the thing. If you're not getting ahead of your head, then your head is getting a chokehold grip on you. And we're not having that. You have lives to change, impact to make, and dreams to create. In this podcast, you'll hear conversations with leaders, creatives, and entrepreneurs who share their stories and their strategies on how they continue on when the inevitable mental quicksand comes to take them down. My hope for you is that by listening in on each episode, you leave feeling less alone and more relieved, reset, and reconnected with yourself in a way you never have before. And ultimately, go back into your life with a reignited passion and unwavering dedication to doing the work you came here to do. Because when you learn how to sew what you truly want to speak, everything changes. I'm glad you're here. Hey, I wanna share a super exciting opportunity if you are someone who is a creative entrepreneur or if you are an emerging leader in an organization and you are looking for a way to really boost your communication style. So whether you are someone who wants to increase your visibility and right now it scares the bejesus out of you and you wanna be able to just feel so much more comfortable owning a room, walking into a room and having a very clear message, jumping behind the camera, or even being able to have one-on-one conversations with clients or with colleagues so that you can truly feel like you are standing behind the message, the purpose, and the impact that you want to make with integrity, with confidence, and with clarity. This is a three-month coaching opportunity with me. It's five spots that are open for one-on-one coaching three months starting in January. If you're interested in learning more, go ahead and click the link below. It is a 20-minute call that you can book and we'll just learn a little bit more. I'll share with you exactly what you can expect in this experience. And then you can also have a moment to really flesh out what you're looking for so we can make sure that this is a solid fit. I promise you that the clients who have gone through this experience have come out the other side feeling a totally shifted vantage point, feeling so much more grounded, feeling so much more excited, and feeling so much more energized to make the true impact that they want to make. If this has your ears perked and your antenna peaked and you are saying, yes, 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 this is exactly what I want. Go ahead and book the call. You have nothing to lose except for the overthinking, the constant overthinking of how you are truly going to make the impact that you want to make. Chances are, if you are of the human race, you've had the desire to write a book. And chances also are high that the idea left your mind as soon as it arrived. You're so not alone. Upwards of 80% of Americans say that they want to write a book and those who actually start, guess how many see it through to completion? 3%. 3% actually see it through and only 1% see it published. There are many reasons for this. One of which is that they didn't have the right support system to guide them through every step of the way. Lucky for you, our friends over at Scripter Publishing Group have given so-to-speak listeners $250 off their From Polished to Print package. This is the golden enchilada of book writing to help you take your dream and see it published. The link to cash in there is in the show notes below. And if you're wondering where to even start, go ahead and give Kelly a call. She's happy to guide you towards the best direction to take, and you can book that call over at scriptorpublishinggroup.com. And while you're there, be sure to take a look at their latest offering of a writing retreat in Ireland, one of the most beautiful countries in the world, so I hear, June 23rd to the 29th, 2024. Again, all of that can be found down in the show notes below. Happy, happy writing. I'm so happy that you're here. And I could feel when you reach, just to give everybody a little bit of background, I had sent out to you an invite to come on like probably like two years ago I want to say and you love, and I love that you sat with it and you were like you know what I love that idea and I'm going to sit with it until you felt like the time was right and let me tell you the passionate gusto that I got back from you <laughs> the time <laughs> is right <laughs>
1: Yeah, what? I think so.
0: I I want to kick off there. Like what was the shift that had you go full on like it's now? Like now is the time I want my voice out there. I want to share my story. I want to share my perspective. What shifted?
1: Well, I think back then we were talking about, you know, I was new still relatively new in a in a leadership position and I was just so proud and excited about being in that position and leading such a wonderful wonderful state agency. And I think we talked about you wanted to tell the story of DOT to help me with recruitment and to, to, you know, to beef up the image of DOT and to to highlight the great work that we do. And so I think we talked it was kind of like recruitment and I don't think that was the right story, you know, for certainly for your podcast for one thing and you've been a leadership coach for me for years. And uh, you helped me when I first got that position, I took your class on, so to speak, because the first message that I wanted to deliver to my entire workforce, I wanted to make sure it was, I knew it would be for my heart, but I wanted to make sure they heard it that way. And that it came across authentic. And that's why I took that class. And, and that was my springboard. And And when I was preparing, actually, I think um, I prepared my first message. I delivered it to all my people, and it was done in shifts because I have 550 across the six counties that we cover, and so I was able to do that. And the next time I engaged with you and a couple of our other uh, friends, uh, we um, I I was working on my first leadership meeting, bringing my leadership team together, and I was bouncing some ideas off with you guys to help me with that. So I I think it it was, uh, and that so I think when you asked me, we were still kind of like. Building our workforce again. I mean, COVID hit. We had a hiring freeze. We weren't even able to hire. You know, we really kind of like everybody else, right? You kind of hunker down and you you got through that. And um, so now that we've risen back up, we opened up our floodgates again. We, we are at our staffing levels to where we need to be. We're doing. My team does a phenomenal job with recruitment. Uh, we have a really strong and a very young workforce. You know, especially in our professional series with our engineering and technicians and environmental specialists. Um, so we have a, so they're a younger workforce. And, and uh, now I can kind of settle into this leadership role. And I'm also entering a phase in my life where Um, You know, I turned 54 last year. I'm turning 55 pretty soon. I have so many of my colleagues that once they reach 55, they already have 30 years in state service and they're retiring. Some of them, a lot of them going on to other chapters, you know, not, not stopping working, Um, but I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm turning 55 and I have several years left with the state before I move on to my next chapter. And um and you gain a lot of wisdom, you know, late in your career. And I feel I have a lot to offer, and especially a woman in a leadership role, you know. That um, you I'm I'm, the, I'm one of eleven regional directors of the Department of Transportation. I'm the only woman, so you know, I think yeah, I think it's time.
0: I couldn't agree more.
1: I I and I and I love that, and I
0: love you know you going back to saying how when we first talked, it was more about recruitment. I want to add on that it wasn't just recruitment from my perspective. And at that point, you and I had just started really getting to know each other. And it wasn't just recruitment. It was, it wasn't just recruitment for DOT. It was your distinct perspective and passion on how you wanted to recruit and why you wanted to recruit, which I felt was so To me, not knowing anything about your industry, I was like, we need to get you out there for people to see that this is possible, to be able to be in a mal-dominated industry and to have a voice that comes from intention for the greater. And I feel like so many times it stifles women specifically to speak up in mal-dominated spaces for many reasons. But there was something about you that was so clear. It was like this very rooted, like, this is why I want to bring more people in. You're so proud of the industry you're in. You're so proud of DOT. You're so proud of your team. It's it's so genuine and it's very, um, it's so aligned in integrity, which keeps coming up to me when I think of you. So I would love for you to just share a little bit about your story, like how you, you came into this field and then we'll segue into for sure, specifically like what, what it was that like, has you say, I want to recruit from this place of like genuine servant leadership, which is something you're super passionate about. And you're someone who very beautifully, practice is what you preach. You're not someone who's like throwing it out there with like a checklist, you know, and like done servant leadership next it's who you are. So with all of that said, I would, I just would love for you to share with everybody, just where, where this all came from, what's your story of how you came to be in this space.
1: So first, you know, I'm glad you reminded me of that because it wasn't just recruitment because I was very big about diversifying our workforce. Totally. You know, we're Wait, And I very... want to pause
0: you, you were yeah. way, I'm sorry. I it's, this is super important. This is way before the DEI became like a hot conversation. This was not you jumping on the bandwagon to be like, "Okay, this is a requirement now again to check it off the list." This was before that was even in conversation. You just you understood the importance of for everybody involved of having a diversified workforce. So I just I really want to highlight that because it wasn't like you were jumping on the hot DEI space. It was really truly part of who you are. So
1: yeah, you no know, definitely, It was well before COVID. Uh, yes. It was um, you know, before Black Lives Matter and and all the, the marches in, in New York City and, and all of that. It's it, now it's 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 who it's who I am, it's who my family is. I am a very proud member of this community. I love the city of Utica. My family's been here for 120 years. You know, I, I'm so thrilled that we are the second most diverse community in the state of New York, you know, it's next to New York City. And we, my husband taught in Utica. He went through Utica schools. Him and his his brothers and his sister, and um, and and he also taught in Utica schools for like nine years. And at that time, you know, our immigrants were were starting to come in. And um, you know, we've always had immigrants, right? I mean, my 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 great grandfather was an Italian immigrant. Um, my husband's great grandfather was an Irish immigrant. You know, my all of that Polish Irish Italian right we've always been a city, a community of immigrants. And then when this beautiful refugee center, you know, opened and we started to gain more and more diversity in our community, and my husband taught in that school district, you know, he saw he was so proud to see you know, how much better our community was becoming by so many, um, uh, so much diversity. And when we talk about diversity, it's not just cultural, we know that, right? It's, um, and even in, in DOT, it, it, women are diverse. I mean, to have more women in our organization is also adding to our own diversity because we're still very much, and it's not, it's not to say that there's a, there's a lot of women now going into engineering and technical fields. Um, but it's uh, in our maintenance workforce, you know for those that plow our roads and and, um, and keep our system operating it still tends to be just the, the nature of the work tends to be more male oriented and I'm not sure that yeah. how if that would ever truly change. so we're probably always going to be a little bit more male dominated but still we have plenty of, Talented women in our in our highway maintenance, bridge maintenance, and um, our mechanics as well. You know, starting to have more and more women in that too. So when I say diversity, it's certainly it's not just cultural diversity. So I mean, I think that's always just been who I am, and I I'm very big about you know we're we're immersed in this community. I, I do cover six counties, but in the Nida County, our my my workforce should look as diverse as the county that we live in. You know, and um, and we still have work to do, but but we're getting there as far as my background and how I got in engineering, I, my, you know, I was thinking about this, you reflect a lot, right, at the end of the year, and um, I'm just, I'm working on my, my Christmas message to my staff, you know, so you're always reflecting on the past year, um, but I was, I was thinking about maybe preparing for the podcast and saying, you know, geez, my, my heritage, my lineage is, it's engineers, it's teachers, and it's public servants. You know, if you look at every, uh, avenue you know that down from the, the my Polish side my Italian side and my husband's Irish side you know we make up a lot of you know there are some health care in, in in my husband's family a lot of health care those that are in healthcare but engineering public service teaching has been always you know all the way through my my lineage. And, um, my father was an engineer. My father was an engineer. My great grandfather was an engineer. Both my brothers are engineers. So I honestly didn't think there was much else to do out there other than engineering and teaching. And back then, you know, when you're, um, when I was graduating from college, I only thought there, there was, or graduating from high school. I only thought there were two engineering schools, RPI and Clarkson, you know, that was it. Cause my father went to RPI, my great, my, my uh, grandfather went to RPI, my brother went to RPI and my other brother went to Clarkson, so I really only thought that there were two engineering schools. But that's just what you did in my family. If you were good at math and science, you became an engineer. So I really didn't put a lot of thought into it. It was pretty much my father raised me no different than my brothers. And uh, because I was good at math and science, you become an engineer. But there was a stretch that I did think because I was a, a bit of a math whiz and I love math. It's probably why I'm into numerology now. <laughs> um, but because uh, my love for math, I did switch gears for a little bit and thinking I would be a math teacher. And because it wasn't, the curriculum wasn't as challenging enough for me. And I went back to engineering. So I, this is where I landed.
0: Well, and it's so funny because you're, you were, you also grew up and you have two sons, right? Like, so you grew up surrounded by boys. Yeah. So there's something like, how did that maybe looking back even, I don't know, but like, how did that? maybe influence your ability to hold your own in a male-dominated space?
1: You know, I never thought of it that way. You know, it's weird because I think about it now um, more than I did back then. It was really after my dad passed because I I just, I didn't think I could, I, I just knew that I'm no different than my brothers. I I never thought differently. I never thought that I didn't, even when I went to college and I was one of just a few women, you know, that were in the, my curriculum, I I only just thought it was because, you know, they just didn't know about engineering. Maybe, you know, I did, I never thought that I was, could be any different than my brothers. And it's really the way my father raised me. And it wasn't just that I grew up with my brothers, my whole neighborhood was all boys. And um, so I was just so used to and comfortable being around boys and then men, you know, that um, my best friends ended up to be men. I still have, you know, many male best friends, you know, so it's, that's uh, it's just a very comfortable environment for me. So it's never, I always felt that I didn't fit as much around women because I, I'm not a, um you know, I don't wear makeup really, you know, I don't never wear eye makeup at all. Um, I just, not, I don't like to shop. I don't, you know, I don't, I never go to find jewelry stores until until Freeman and Foote was going out of business and I've been or retiring and I've been going in there like every day, but, uh, but I never did. I never pampered myself. So I guess I just didn't feel like I felt like I fit in with other women until recently.
0: <laughs> well, and, and, you know, I love like kudos to your dad. For, for doing that, because especially during the time that you were growing up, there was still, and there still is, like there was still this gender bias of like treating, even if it was subconscious, like treating your boys one way and your daughters another way. And that takes sometimes a lot of effort, but clearly with your dad, something was happening there that he, I don't know. Do you know, was it like, con, like, do you know, did you, you ever have a conversation with your dad about it like
1: i wish i did i now i do you know (laughs) in a sense
0: yeah
1: um but you know i just no because he just it just was just we just came from such a loving nurturing home my mother was a stay-at-home mom you know so um so we had that we had that nurturing environment um my father was such a nurturer as well you know and and um I, you know, I just am very blessed. And and that's why it's like my whole until um until I started, and still until my sons, you know, my older son started to have um issues in school and uh with peers and stuff that um I just I never I felt like I I've lived a very charmed life, let's put it that way, right? You know, so I always felt like uh I, you know, I very um spoiled, sheltered, however you want to put it. You know, until I started to really um find out all the other things that that so many have to deal with, you know. And then certainly have had my own challenges, you know, of my own since. But so I just um I don't know if I'm really vocalizing that as well as as maybe I could.
0: Well, I don't know. I don't know if it, it, it may not even be something that can be articulated, because it might be something that just came so naturally to your dad that he didn't even think twice about it, you know. I just I just wondered if you ever had that conversation and since your dad has passed and you're very spiritual like i'm still interested to see if you throw that out to him if you get any sort of like feedback from him to say like how it worked
1: you know i do think that his his home environment wasn't as loving and nurturing you know as i think he was determined to make sure that that his that he raised you know that his marriage was so strong and so um a loving you know long married my my parents met on a blind date at 14 years old you know they were together for 67 years before my father passed away so they they've been together forever and um and so i think he was determined that he was going to raise us and his you know his family you know, different than the way he was raised. It wasn't that he didn't come from a loving home. It's just that his his father, you know, as an engineer, he worked. You know, he was he was always working, and um, so I you know I think it was just a different home environment. And he was he was so certain that he was going to to raise us differently.
0: It's, that's so beautiful, and that's so insightful coming from you, and it makes so much sense. It makes so much sense. And you, you know, you had referenced that one of your sons went through like a tough time. And I know that, you know, when we had chatted before, this was something that you felt there was almost like a calling. Cause I know you kind of went back and forth a little bit, but there was like a calling to to just share your story of how you navigated that. And I, and I'm so grateful for you to do that because I feel like there are so many parents that are out there right now who could really benefit from hearing how you navigated it. And also, since you're so removed from it, looking back and, and also reflecting on it. So I'm going to pass to you just in regards to like, what was it that, that you, that your son endured and, and how did you navigate that challenging time?
1: So certainly my husband and my husband's a nurturer as well. You know, uh, we, we raised our boys very similar to both of our parents, how they, they, um they raised Um, me and him. And, and so we had a very, very loving environment. And my boys were, are both very fortunate to have at the time, both sets of grandparents locally. So they were, what what a special thing, especially when my second son was born in 1999, it was the year my father retired. So, so he has that, he had that extra special relationship with my dad because um, he was, he was born there. He retired. My dad was retired 22 years before he passed away. So, um, so I first all, I want to preface that you know they had a very normal, loving childhood, and um, and it was elementary school was phenomenal for my older son. It was when he went to junior high, that seventh grade, and he went to the same school that I went to, you know. So, um, and I remember hating seventh grade. I really did. I think it's I. So at the time, the 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 school that that my kids. Uh, went through, um, there's three elementary schools and then those three elementary schools come together at seventh grade. And, and I was at the time, the school that I, I went to was kind of considered the rural school, you know, now it's probably considered more the upper class one of the the three, but when, when I was there, it was rural. And um, so I, you know, the girls weren't wearing makeup, you know, weren't wearing makeup and, you know, we're my, and then when we came together in seventh grade, it was like a culture shock for me, you know, Uh, I just was, I felt very different than so many than the girls in the other schools, right? So that seventh grade is such a tough time, you know, for, and my husband taught seventh grade for many years. And now he teaches eighth grade, but it's kind of funny. He loves that age group. Um, But anyway, so, so I didn't like seventh grade and, and, but I, you know, I guess I didn't think that my older son would have any similar experience to me. I just figured he was so confident, such such a self-assured, a uh, oh boy, he, um, in sixth grade, he got really into magic and he used to do magic shows and he would, we'd take him to the um, the Utica Public Library and, do, and he performed a magic, you know, whole magic show at the library. And then it was right going into sixth to seventh grade that he discovered music and, um, and he was, you know, he was already playing an instrument in fourth grade, but um, he ended up joining marching band and I was shocked. But he and he just loved loved performing, and so he kind of switched from his magic to to music. And um, he's been performing. You know, he writes music. He's a he's a singer songwriter and all of that. So um, so when seventh grade hit, he he also now he's a very very confident boy. Goes to seventh grade, came from a wonderful nurturing elementary school, and then he hit seventh grade. And it was, it was almost immediate, you know, that um, he, he, you know, went up to a, a, a boy that he's like, they he'd get, played basketball with, or I think he was on a baseball team with at some time and says, oh, I remember you, you were on my baseball team. And, he, and the kid turned to him and he said, what are you a faggot? You know, and this is, this is my son's like first week at the junior high school, you know, it's like, he's just trying to be friendly. And this is how and it just went downhill from there it was like he just had such a hard time he couldn't he didn't understand how anybody could be mean to somebody else right so he became um he would just stand up for anybody that he felt was being picked on he had no problem telling on kids if they were being mean to somebody he would go tell on them that's just the way he was because he just he didn't understand how anybody can treat anybody badly and um and unfortunately, you know, he he, uh, it it definitely led. Well, ultimately led. He became a victim of bullying. You know, so the, so from all of it, probably didn't. It started probably middle of set more more towards the end of seventh grade. All of eighth grade, all of ninth grade, he was bullied, bullied mercilessly. Um, and most of it was verbal. There was some physical abuse, but. Uh, most of it was verbal. And it wasn't until he was in high school where I stayed very close with the school counselor. She really saved his life when when uh, he was at the junior high. And I stayed very close with her um, going into high school. And, and at one point, I'm sitting in her office back at the junior high while my son's now in 10th grade. And she said, of all her years of teaching and all the years of being a counselor, that the bullying that Reed endured was the the worst bullying that she had ever seen. And that that was shocking to both me and my husband because it was bad. We knew it was bad, but we never, we never thought, you know, we never realized, you know, the, the, the extent, you know, so, so that was, um, that was really, it, it took away the, this young, this confident boy that, which, which is with this warm, nurturing heart, very, he's very much an empath. He feels things very deeply and, um, and it destroyed his confidence. It destroyed all of that that and he and you know, i would always he exhibited leadership qualities at a very young age but more into like i'm like oh my god steve he's bossing his friends around again downstairs you know he was always like or trying to orchestrate whatever what whatever he was doing you know so he had these le- leadership qualities that as a little boy comes across a little bossy but he always had that confidence and and uh, leading people and and wanting to, you know, to plan and do different things. And, you know, he wanted to practice his music and 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 be right into it and not have anybody take any breaks. And, you know, like he just was just, and it just destroyed, it destroyed his confidence and ultimately uh, led to a path of dis- destruction. And so in high school, he started to turn to substances and And, um, and ultimately, you know, um, we were, we're very fortunate. We didn't lose him. There was times I really thought we would. I mean, the fact
0: that you were able to stay with him the entire way and that you were so involved with his counselor and thank God his counselor was who she was, whoever it was is it's so much about being, I mean, something I keep hearing that shows up in in the work that I do on mental wellness is specifically with bullying. If the kid has a support system, it doesn't negate what's happening in the school, but it significantly enhances their ability to move through it. And so I wonder, does your son feel, or were you even able to notice at the time, because I know it was a long time ago, that he, did he, was there a sense of like relief or a sense of, um, was he able to understand the support he was receiving from adults if he wasn't receiving it from kids his age?
1: He, um, first I wanna, you know, one thing you triggered memory with me is that, um, you know, when you're going through it all, and especially as a parent, of course, uh, I was very private at work. You know, I, there was only maybe a couple people that really knew what was going on in, in my life. And um, and it was hard to talk to other parents too because you know part of the the once your your son is once your child is on on this path they they people judge right so you know my son started to be known as a druggie or you know um, people didn't pay it like they didn't see him you know and and that was even before he started you know perhaps using substances and stuff like that it was. Um, he was just quiet, you know, he, he, because of the bullying and stuff, he was afraid to speak up. And he, a lot of times he looked like he, he wasn't paying attention in class and and stuff like that. And, um, but then if, if the teacher called on him, if they paid attention to him, because many teachers just ignored him, they didn't want anything to do with him, you know, and um, but if they did pay attention to him, they realized if they called on him, he was always paying attention. He always knew what was going on. And those teachers that took the time to get to know my son loved my son. You know, but unfortunately there's so many, and I get it. I, I'm married to a teacher and I'm not knocking teachers at all, but it's like what we say about each other, right? You never know what somebody might be going through, you know? So, so there was, there was a lot of that, but, um, but one of my friends, our friend Kelly, you know, she, she said to me, uh, and, and I don't remember. Um, well, there's a couple different things. And I, and I was reading a lot of books and sort you of know, talking to my friends, but um, I think it was through one of our conversations that if um if, and I th- it might have been one of the books, from the ages of um if if they've had a nurturing childhood from the age between zero and eleven, if nothing traumatic happens between those two ages zero to eleven, that they will be okay. You know, most likely ninety something percent of the time they're going to be okay. You know, so you ask if, if he did he know that he had that support system, he did. And he's still to this day, he's so grateful, you know, for me and my husband and my son and his grandparents, you know, he's, um, he recognizes the importance of family he always has. And, um, and I don't want to say because I know there's, you know, I've had there's been divorce in my family, you know, that a a, a trauma that that could happen to a child between zero and 11 happens often. And I'm not saying that they're not going to be okay when they do face some darkness. It just means they might need more help. You know, they might need therapy or, you know, some other type of support system. But if you've had a very nurturing and nothing has happened between zero and 11, most likely, you know, know, they're going to be okay without a lot of intervention, perhaps without you know, um, psych, you know, uh, uh, therapy and, and, um, and sometimes, you know, cause some, some kids do need uh, medication and stuff, you know, for what there's, so, but I just want to put that out there in that respect. One of the things that um, Kelly also said to me at one point is, is that, that a friend, another friend was it, it, these shared experiences, you know, they, their son, you know, was going through that I say where they're developing their prefrontal cortex. And they said, that it was like an alien had taken over his body, you know, and there was a a, a time period where you just felt like what happened to my son, right, you know, and I, him and I were just talking about this recently, he knew that I'm going to come on and, and talk, I said you might come up, you know, um, but there was all said and done, it was a horrible period from then the two years of bullying to all of high school, you know, and thank God that he made it through. But, and, but the worst of it, the worst of that time where I really thought, oh my God, I might lose my son, where there was times that I thought I wasn't sure he was going to come home, um, that it was really eight months. It was eight months. That was the absolute worst of it was an eight month period. And so it wasn't like years, you know, So I feel so bad for parents that go through, you know, it, it, you know. It substance abuse is horrible, you know. Self self medicating in any form, right, is 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 just horrible. And um, and but the worst of it for us was was an eight month period. And and outside of that eight month period, my son never went to bed without telling me that he loved me. Never, you know. So I I knew in my heart that I wasn't losing my son, you know. And and when I can when I used to look back at it, it really just added up to an eight month period that. That was hell, absolute hell.
0: And I'm I'm sure that like, even looking back now, even from the way you're talking about it, it's still there. I mean, you don't necessarily, necessarily rid yourself of it. I wouldn't think, but at the same time, I do wonder just from everything we were talking about, even prior to this, like how has all, like, if we take everything that you've shared so far, I know how I know. Personally, from knowing you, how it's significantly impacted the way you the way that you lead. But I would love for you to share how you were so genuinely able to reach in and pull out the lessons in everything that you've shared, just the way you were raised, the experience that you had as a mom. How has this impacted the way that you lead?
1: Well, there's no question that um, for both of us, you know, and I say, and of course, my husband and my my other son too. We are all better for this experience. There's no, every one of us, I, as much as, yeah, I wish that my son wasn't bullied for two years. He is the most amazing person, you know? And um, when you have uh, trials and tribulations, right? Whatever you face, obstacles that you faced, overcoming those obstacles, it all makes us better humans. There's, there's no doubt about it. Right. If we we've, we've lived a charmed life and we don't experience things and we don't have failures and we don't have have to be, you know, fail when you have, when you fail a test or fail anything, right? You're gonna be more, you're gonna learn how to be more creative the next time. Right. So it's like creativity is born from failure. You know, there is so much that um I never want, I never cared if my kids fail the test. It never bothered me. I didn't, we were not helicopter parents, you know, and then there's lawnmower parents, right? We were never like that because it's like I, I I didn't help my kids do their homework unless they asked me for help. you know, I just it's just the way we both parented. And um, and i I just I, I think we all learn from it. So uh, I wouldn't there I wouldn't, you know, as much as yes, I wish that he wasn't bullied and and all of that, but but there's no question that we are all better for it, every one of us in my entire family. You know, and I would even say some of the extended family that went through this with us, you know, we're all better for it. And as a leader, I have such more, I'm just so much more empathetic and compassionate. You know, I think, of course, it was always in me. Right. And um, when I started to really practice servant leadership, I always say that um, I did right before Reed went through everything that he went through, I had done a very intensive leadership academy. And it was um, it was multiple multiple different you know sessions and and um, you know all kinds of things you were introduced to political savvy and and um, you did the whole personality test and all you know everything that goes into a leadership training and it, all of it was phenomenal but the piece on servant leadership was so small and and but it fascinated me and the speaker that came in he's he was actually commissioner of, of DOT for another state. And uh, and he he spoke on ser- servant leadership, and I was like, "What's that?" I didn't even hear. Yeah, you know? I was like, "What's that?" And and I always say to my staff that it wasn't that it wasn't in my heart, or I didn't, you know, I just felt like I truly wasn't practicing it. And um and, I, and and I already was a servant leader in the respect that I had a an employee, an engineer that that um went from one group to another. So he moved from he transferred from a different group into my group at the time. And after a couple weeks he said to me, "Linda, you've talked to me more in the last 2 weeks than my previous supervisor talked to me in 2 years." And you hear things like that, you're like, "We're doing this wrong then, right? Yeah. If we if we're not connected with our people, and to realize that, yeah, we have tasks and objectives and we have a job to do and you got to deliver contract plans and all these things. But you know what, who's doing it? It's the people, it's mm-hmm. the human, right? And if they're not in a good place and they're dealing with stuff and you're not even paying attention, you know, it's like, what then? the product does, does means nothing. It means nothing at the end. It's the person, it's the people, it's the humanity, right? So, so, that, um, so that certainly... Having that experience with my son and watching him go through it, I looked at everybody differently. You know, okay. I, that you just, right, you have no idea what's going on in somebody's life. When you're working with guys
0: specifically,
1: do you notice
0: that the way that you do this, meaning that you see them and you work with them and you have this empathy, are you noticing from all the years that you've been at the DOT? that it's shifting at all where they're feeling more comfortable to be more emotive or to be more open. And if so, what is the practice that you have as a leader that is allowing that to be maintained and sustained?
1: I have seen a shift yeah, and, um, and I, I think, I think with men, I think what they had to learn for me was because is that, they had to learn to trust me. Right. Cause my intentions is always about the person. Mm-hmm. And so there was, there's still a lot of, there used to be a lot of competitiveness, right? So you hire an employee and they're like a star employee. You, you, there's, there were men that would hide that person, you know, from the other leaders because they're afraid that they would get snooped, you know, scooped up by them. Well, so I think there was a lot of I had to build their trust you know it took a long time to build that trust and but I and I think they need cuz I really you know I was never like that I never my my whole I don't care what group somebody works in I want them to be happy. I want them to feel like they're they're um, contributing to our organization and that they're getting job satisfaction. And if that means that it does mean that they move to a different group, then they move to that different group, right? So there were, when I first started working so in a leadership role with other men, with men. Um, I saw this more, you know, just kind of protectiveness, you know, they didn't want to share somebody with me because they're afraid I was going to steal that person, especially if it was a woman, right? They're figuring, oh, Linda's going to want all the women around her. I don't know, you know, but they, it was like, I'm like, and they would hide. I feel really felt like they're hiding people from me. So I've seen this tremendous shift and it's because we collaborative work as a team. You know, there's no secrets. There's no, we, we, we communicate if there's a if if i have an employee that wants to come talk to me their supervisors and the chain of command always knows that they're going to come talk to me and i will tell them everything that that employee said you know and i make that very clear to that employee that that um you know i well i'm going to tell your group director you know so it's like it's it's i'm i'm not going to keep secrets you know this is um what that's how we can build a workforce that that we that that transparency that trust all of it you know so i think a lot of it was trusting you know establishing a place of trust and I think once my other leaders regardless whether they're men or or women you know once they once we establish this environment of trust now we all work together what's in the best interest of our employees you know there's it's it's definitely a collective mindset that has been a shift you know and and whether that's happening in every um region across the state I'm I'm not sure you know but it's it's certainly what we have we have um work together, those working together leaders, you know, that working together leadership system. I think I shared with you when you came and did a workshop with us last year, you know, that, uh, that's truly what we practice in, in my, in my region.
0: And that's huge. I mean, you're, you're literally changing the culture, which is so huge. It's so big. So with the, with men specifically, that sense of trust to know that they can speak to you openly and that really isn't going anywhere else. I mean, that's something that is so It's, it's a show. Don't tell, like, you can't really say, trust me. It's more about you need to show it. And then once you do, most people are like, oh my gosh, she's evolved. That's amazing. Or she's going to say what she's going to do, which is that transparency you were talking about. And there, and there won't be the secrets. So I'm wondering too, if we can flip sides now, like working with women who are rising up in a male dominated industry, what are you noticing with any shift in imposter syndrome? Is that shifting where are women feeling a bit more confident venturing into the space? Or are you seeing that things are pretty much the way that they have been when it comes to women feeling maybe like they need to like earn their spot at the table?
1: No, I, I do think um, because we've built this environment, I do believe that the women that are are starting, you know, fresh out of college and into this environment, I'm hearing feedback of, of um, just that they feel they're being treated just like everybody else. And, and that, that is a shift. And I was, you know, and when I hear something like that, I can't wait to share it with the associated group director because it just is so we did it right. That is, that is, um, that's the environment we wanted to create. And, and now it's happening. And, and I, you know, it was, it was probably a good, I don't know, it was before before I became the regional director, so it was probably, you know, five years ago where I had a, a woman that they did try to hide from me. And, uh, and she, she went up to talk to um, the assistant to the regional director that t- I was not the regional director at the time to express how unhappy she was. And um, this, this, uh, this, this person reached out to me to ask me if I would talk to her. And, and I said, absolutely. So and I said, I was a group director at the time. and. Um, we we both listened to her and and you know I, it was it was definitely an environment that was the way those environments used to be right where she was not feeling valued. There was definitely some um, it was probably in 2016 when there was a political election going on. You know there was there was definitely some conversations being had in the office that that shouldn't have been had and and she just did not feel like she fit and at the time. Um, what we did what we encouraged her, there were some openings in a neighboring region, you know, and she lived like halfway between. And we're like, you should go for those. You should go inquire, you know, go apply to these positions and interview. And and because it, I, we knew it, we, we needed to get her out of that environment, but it had to be her choice. And she was so funny because when she she did not want to go she she's like, all right, well, I'll go to the interview. It's actually late for the interview, but then she knocked their socks off and uh and she ended up uh transferring to another dot region and she is doing phenomenal and um and i think certainly if she had stayed things probably would have started to get better and she would have been very happy as well but you know what if it was not if she was not happy then then she needed to um she needed to do something about it you know so and that and that's how we operate and if that that if that means that they have to leave our our you know, nest for a little while, you know, maybe she'll come back someday for a promotion, who knows, but this was what was best for her.
0: Well, and it speaks so much to your leadership style of being able to really truly see what's best for the whole person, where it can be hard sometimes, you know, you have so much that's going on in your mind. There's so much that you're taking care of and being able to truly realize that it is, more about what is best for her, which in the end is really best for you too. Because you don't want to keep someone on board when they're just not hanging with it. Like that when there's like a whether it's a miserable culture within the department that they're in or the environment they're in, once you once they can sense that you actually are looking out for their best, anything's pop- like things totally who know and who knows? She might come back. Who knows? Like really who knows? But right. if anything, it'll be coming back from a pl- place of like feeling totally appreciated. And you did this with such integrity, which is not surprising whatsoever. So before we wrap, there are two things I want to chat with you about. So one is coming back all the way to the beginning, you talked about getting young people in. I would love for you to talk about generationally, there's such a huge continuum of generations that are in the workforce right now. It's shifting a bit, you know, for sure. But what is a misconception that you notice about any specific younger generation? Let's start there. What's a misconception?
1: I hate to generalize, you know. So, uh, you know, so the misconceptions, it's tough because millennials definitely, a lot of them do meet that they like to telecommute, you know. So when we have that ability to telecommute now in state government, which we never did before, uh, so we allow them to telecommute two days a week it's hard for us older generations to adjust to that, you know, but, um, but that's, that's what's an expectation. What I'm seeing is that Gen Z, we're starting to see them wanting to be the, the public servant part of, uh, I, I think Gen Z is amazing. I think millennials are cool too, but a Gen Z I think is a really cool generation because we're starting to see public servants coming back. I think we lost it with millennials. You know, I think that's, there's not as much um, millennials that want to go into public service, you know. But now with our Gen Z, I'm starting to see more Gen Zs wanting to go into public service, and so I'm starting to see a, a shift, you know. And um, I think our young people are absolutely amazing, you know. We I've definitely seen a a it's um it's it's exciting because you know so many people there's you know. We'll start to say, "Oh, they're so these kids these days, right? They're they're lazy. They just want to play video games, sit behind a computer. They don't know how to communicate because they're on their phones and and on social media, right?" I, I don't I don't see that. I'm not seeing that with these young you know um, people coming in my door, you know, and now they're my kids' age, you know, coming in. But it's uh I I just see they're creative. They are um they're excited. You know, they, they're really, they want to contribute, you know, they're getting involved with things. It's, um, it's a shift those older millennials, I I would say they're a little, they were, they were different, you know, and now there's younger millennials and, and these Gen Z's, you know, I'm very excited about the future of all our workforces and all industries, because I think these kids are amazing. I do. You know, it's. I think that probably is a misconception, right? It
0: totally is. Like, I was like, oh, she's just answering exactly what the misconception is that they're like locked behind a screen. And so they're turning into zombies. You don't know how to socially function, which is just not the case. But I do believe, and I agree with you that that sense of contribution and making a difference in the world is like through the roof with this generation of Gen Z because they're waking. I, I like the way we all should be every generation. I look at it like it's a baton handoff. It's like we got this far. Now we're going to hand the baton to you. We're supposed to be evolving. So, the one thing that I get so fired up about within the workforce is this idea of, you know, boomers are better, or Gen X is better, or Gen Z, or, rah, 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 rah. and right. it's like, can if people really looked at like what are we actually contributing from our generation that maybe the other generation didn't have, and we focus on that, it's like this golden pod. Right. And it just creates so much more appreciation for each generation. And it does allow people, and I say allow is the operative word because some people are very strong in their mindset, but allows people to sit back and possibly shift their perspective and their preconceived ideas about a specific generation so that you can get the work done. You know, like it really does matter. So I do, I look at it like a baton handoff. We're supposed to evolve within generations, things are supposed to shift. That's just how it goes. And I, I love that. I think that's wonderful. And I do agree with you that I I can see it across industries for sure. For sure. So it's in yeah. what a light. Like that's such a beautiful way to even close out our conversation. Before we do that though, I know you have something special that you want to share. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. So I want to make sure that we leave some some space for that. So go for it.
1: Okay. And I know, you know, I listen to your podcast, Christy, so I know you always give a good plug to Scripture publishing and that everybody has one book in them. And uh, so, and I know someday I hope to write a book and my husband has already started to write a book. He's, he's a, like I said, he's a teacher and he's retiring this June or next June. So um, I think we all have books in us, but before my, I have a a wonderful cousin, uh, Nick, Nick Labella, he passed away in 2019. And before he passed, I hooked him up with scriptor Publishing because he had a vision of a beautiful children's book. And he was a um, a captain with the Utica Police Department. He also was an acting uh, assistant police chief as well. When his when his um, when the his uh, close friend that was going out for cancer treatments, he actually stepped up to be the assistant police chief. And then when he would come back, he'd step down again to be a captain. But anyways, wonderful, wonderful human. And he had this vision to bring Car 100 of the Utica Police Department to life, and it, and he got the vision from when Thomas the Tank Engine used to come to the Utica train station, and the, and the kids would go see him, and he saw the the this lifelike uh, train that that all the kids loved. And Thomas the Tank Engine was huge. I don't even know if our kids know them. No, I don't even know if Thomas the Tank Engine still exists. Yeah, I don't know. And he wanted to do the same type of thing and bring car 100, which is this old antique car that they used to put in the parades, and it is in the window of the Utica Police Station on Oriskany Street in in downtown Utica, and he he envisioned this car coming to life and teaching children, uh, give them safety messages, you know, public safety messages, but also teaching them that when they do see a person in uniform, that they're going to be your friend and they're going to help you. So if you're lost or you feel um, in, you know, in a threatening situation and you see somebody in uniform, they're going to help you. And the vision was for this, um, for the, for police officers to go into the Utica city schools and read the books to the kids. Oh, that's awesome. Right. Mm Yeah. So we got it started. We found a wonderful publisher that he actually led us to after his passing, you know, a b- whole crazy set of circumstances that we ended up um, finding a beautiful publisher, Kristen Booten. and uh, and we've she's created an, the exact uh, beautiful talking vehicle that uh, the uh, talking car that he had envisioned. And it's not you know it's not illustrated yet, uh, but she's she's created the concept and the character, and now it's just a matter of putting pen to paper and. Um, and getting the project off the ground. So we do have, we are raising money. We're gonna restart our fundraising again in January, but we do have a GoFundMe site that maybe we can put a link to, you know, to- Yeah, absolutely.
0: We'll throw it in the show notes for anyone who's interested. And any idea of a publishing date?
1: We're hoping sometime in 2024. We really would like to, you know, if we could get the funding in January, February, you know, uh, we we can hopefully get it published before the end of the year.
0: That's amazing. And I definitely by all means will be putting that in the show notes. So if you're interested in contributing to that, you can go ahead and look after the episode. Linda, thank you so much. I'm so grateful for you sharing your entire story and path. And I really do hope that it offers anybody who's listening just a shift in perspective of something. I mean, you shared so many different ways to look at. We talked about generation, we talked about being a parent going through challenging times. We talked about being you know, a one, one of the only at the table, uh, you know, that you've expanded on in your career. And I just hope that someone who is listening is able to take from that and just feel less alone. It's what I kept feeling the whole time you were talking. I was like, oh, I just want someone to feel less alone and to feel more seen and more appreciated um, because it's so, it's so necessary. And I'm so, so grateful for the work that you're doing and that you're one of the top leading the helm. It's so important to have that perspective. So thank you so much.
1: Welcome. Thank you. And by all means, you know, I, I've always felt if I have one other mother to talk to that, that is going through, you know, that's going through something similar, has gone through something similar. Anybody can reach out to me, you know, that if they, I'd be happy because it's just, it's, it's so much more meaningful when you have experience, you have a shared experience like that, If a child being bullied. All
0: right, Linda, thank you so much. It's always so good to see your face.
1: Good to see you too. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the so to speak podcast. If you found some insight or some useful nuggets in this episode, I want to hear about it. So make sure to connect with me on Instagram, on LinkedIn at Christy Mandor. Also go ahead and share it with anyone else you feel could benefit from the messages in this episode. And while you're at it, go ahead and throw up a rating and a review wherever you're listening in from, which helps significantly in other people learning about the podcast, because it takes all of us to get ahead of our heads. I'll see you next week.